everybody. Welcome back to Before I Forget. Uh, I am Kevin, and with me, as always, is, as he says, the greatest co-host of all time in reference to me, but I'm just going to say that he really is the greatest of, uh, of all time, um, Mr. Tyree Brown. Say hi, Tyree. Hey, Tyree. Hey, so, you're still in my lines. Yeah, hey, I have to continue. You know, we got to keep it going. <clears throat> so, right. on today's show, guys, it, it is so important for me personally uh i'm gonna tell you a little story hopefully this doesn't bore you guys to death uh back in 1996 i was in eighth grade and i got in trouble in middle school uh i made a letter to someone who i thought it was hilarious but they didn't and they called the police and uh i ended up getting in trouble i was on punishment for months for this it's the last time i ever got a whooping for anything my dad was cool. I love him to death, but he whooped my ass for that, and I deserved it because it was a terrible prank. But uh, he took away my TV, no Nintendo. I didn't have anything in my room, completely bare. And uh, I had a radio. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I got something. I'm not completely lost in the woods here. So I'm flipping through the radio stations. And for whatever reason, I end up on KFI AM 640. And... The first show was uh, the voice I recognized. Is it was like oh, that guy sounds like Jack in the Box, Mister Jack. It was it was uh, Mister KFI his show, and then right after that, it was so weird. It was a show with the guest was Shaq. Now Shaq was really brand new to LA playing basketball there, so I was pretty excited to hear that. And uh, he just had a movie called like Shazam that just came out and during the interview Shaq who didn't sound anything like Shaq kept saying the name of the movie wrong it was pissing me off I'm like who is this guy talking to like he's clearly being pranked right now I can't believe this is happening and then other people started to call in it and then all of a sudden I'm like oh my god it's a big prank like I'm in on this huge prank and no one else is getting this and I'm just sitting there listening and laughing my ass off Try not to get my dad's attention in the other room because I'm on punishment still. And uh, ultimately, I figured out that that show was the Phil Hendry show way back then. And I've been a fan since 1996. And here he is on our podcast, Mr. Phil Hendry. Hello, hey. <laughs> You know that uh, the station got a basketball, a signed basketball from Shaq? Oh, yeah? Because after he stopped being pissed off. <laughs> And he realized it was a joke. Mm-hmm. He gave us a signed basketball, which my general manager took. I didn't get it. Oh, I should have. I should have gotten that basketball, but instead, Howard, wherever you are, you have my signed basketball. You know. <laughs> so well, hey, ahead, I want to say though, I want to say this. So you've been a fan since '96, and you, you you've known like that you were a fan of uh, of Phil Hendry since 96. But people uh, have been a fan of Phil Hendry and may not have known it because. Uh, Phil, you've been a part of a ton of like great shows, like Rick and Morty, Futurama, King of the Hill. Yeah, um, you've been all over these Squid Billies, Young Sheldon, right? Team America, World yeah. Police. Yeah, I mean, Future, uh, F is for Family. I just did Bill Burr's show. Yeah, um, Futurama. Did a couple of, of uh, I think you mentioned Futurama and and and. Um, a show that I'm near and, near and dear to my heart, and I only did th- three episodes of it, but they let me ad-lib the whole thing. I got to ad-lib my character through three episodes. A show for kids called The Seven D, The Seven Dwarfs. 
Oh, okay. Um, it was under, it's a, a show for under nine years of age, and I did the whole thing. I had lived the whole thing, kept it really kid-oriented and funny, and, you know, people think, is that hard to do if you're kind of doing adult humor on the, you know, for a living? Go, no, not at all. Making kids laugh is actually pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you just keep it into a couple of areas like farts and belching and, you know, and, and kind of branch out from there, and you've got your... That's you've got our- your that's our bread and butter. Here, That's our bread and butter on this show. We fart yeah. and we hope for the best. We just keep our thumbs up and stare at each other, and then all right, yay! Yeah. Uh, so, for so, for anyone yeah, who a lot of those shows, a lot of a lot of animation, and uh, mm-hmm. I did Team America back in ninety. Or when did we do that show? Two thousand. It's a movie, actually. I did uh, three characters on Team America with Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And two thousand four. Yeah, two thousand four. Chechenian terrorists is yeah, your list yeah. here. That's my one and only red carpet moment. I actually walked on a red carpet and talked to cats from. Talked to. There was press there from Russia. And Iran. I remember this Iranian kid. He was the reporter. He was the TV guy going, hey, Phil, one more thing, man. Say in the camera, rock the vote, huh? Rock the vote. Hey, rock the vote. Iran. Rock Iran? Rock the vote. Okay. No. <laughs> it was, it was a, great night. a great night. Cool thing. So That's, that's kind of hard to believe that that's the only time you've been on the carpet, though. That's wild. Like, I mean, come on. Like, you are a household name. Well, no, but I'm not a movie guy. You know, I'm, I'm a radio, TV guy. That's all movie stuff. You know, that was you know, I say the same thing about Tyree. He's got he's got a face made for radio. Yeah. No, well, <laughs> not, not saying that about you, sir. Tyree's a pretty handsome guy, you know. No, he is. He, he is. He's a he's a dapper young lad. I gotta take what I got <laughs> exactly. and run with it. Gotta take what I got and run with these big old eyebrows. Need, Jesus. As they say in movies, we're always looking for new faces. Always. I said any kind of face. Oh yeah, <laughs> any kind of face. We just want new faces, you know. So yeah. Okay, so I, I had to ask you to come on the show because for one, I wanted to my the people who are in, familiar with our show to become familiar with your show also because, like I said, I'm a huge fan. Um, there is uh, the show is on on. Um, on mine here, it's uh, the Phil Hendry. I'm sorry, the world. Of, I'm sorry, I'm tripping out here. I'll cut some of this. Stuff well, I do. A, I do a digital show now, a podcast, exactly, which is just me in character mm-hmm. called the, the World of Phil Hendry. Yeah. yeah, my radio show, the actual being on the radio and pranking phone callers, was from 1990 until about 2013. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, radio just kind of went away. <laughs> I don't know what happened to it, but it just kind of, you know, the sense of fun on the radio went away. Let me put it that way. Now it's just pretty much either sports talk or really serious news talk or just, you know, music. Mm-hmm. Terrible music. Have you thought about XM, though? I mean, because, I mean, there's there's a lot that's gone towards XM. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have, except they're not. I hate to say this, and I probably shouldn't, but they don't pay anything. Yeah, you know they just—they really don't. The days where you're making a lot of money in radio are long gone. A lot of the cats that do Sirius XM do it to promote their side projects. There's a lot of comics on there. There's a lot of people who um, are writers, um, and so and they do side projects having to do with politics. And so um, they go on there to promote, but it doesn't really pay. And maybe maybe that's my problem. Maybe I ought to not expect money anymore. You know, <laughs> expect I mean, what, I mean, what even is money anymore? <laughs> exactly. In the, in the, in the overall, you know, so yeah. we'd love to have you back, Phil. Do you still want money though? Right? Well, sort of, I don't know. <laughs> so, considered yeah, it. I like it. The bread kind of dried up over there, but, um, so now I, everybody's entrepreneurial now and I own my own company and yeah, CFA, CFA, CFA incorporated. 
I'm very familiar. Uh, Siempre Incorporated. Siempre. Siempre. People go, were you a Marine? I go, no, not Semper. This is Siempre. It's Spanish for always, mm-hmm. which I guess is the same as Semper and yeah. thing. But uh, yeah. so, uh, it was it was something that I uh, came up with uh, after actually watching a TV show called Siempre Domingo, always on Sunday, which I thought it was a cool show. So I stole half of their name. That was it. Got to borrow something. Uh, I I say that because uh, you you come from a military family, more or less. Your father and your brother both served in the military. I'm telling you, like like this is something new to you. What was it like being raised in that that household? I know that you didn't serve, but you're still around it. My father, Bruce Springsteen, tells a story on stage, and and I won't tell that story. I can tell you my own story. My father was a member of the Canadian forces in Italy and North Africa in World War II. Was a captain in the Canadian infantry attached to the British Third. They went up the boot of Italy and and uh, and did what they did. My brother Dara was in uh, the Navy submarine service during the Vietnam era. <clears throat> so he's, I guess he's a campaign veteran, whatever. But my old man um, did what Bruce Springsteen's dad did. He says to me, uh, "You going in for your physical?" I said, "Yeah, draft physical. Yeah, you're not going." Hmm. I called your aunt in Toronto. You're going up to Canada. This is my father, the World War II veteran. So, um, <clears throat> but he had an American flag that he had us raise every morning in front of the house and take it down. And I learned how to fold the flag. He had a wooden carved American eagle over the fireplace. Um, both my parents uh, immigrated to the United States in the early 50s and became citizens and sometime in the mid 50s and uh, were just uh, solid, solid citizens, man. And, uh, you know, I learned an awful lot about uh, uh, the Second World War from my father, and I became quite interested in the, the history of the Second World War as a result of that. And my brother Dara, who, uh, bless his heart, I don't think he ever did anything as good as he did when he got into the subs, but he was, a, he was a submariner, you know, for however long it was, four or five years of the SS Barb, which, by the way, was a nuclear submarine around the time of the Thresher. And if you look up, you know, Wikipedia, the Thresher was a nuclear submarine that went down in the Pacific. They, they, I don't believe they ever actually found much of it. And I don't know what happened to it, but it just it disintegrated. And my mother just was absolutely beside herself knowing that my brother was on a nuclear submarine somewhere in the same, you know, vicinity. <clears throat> and my dad. Huh? No, I was going to say, I can imagine that would be. Yeah, she was just freaked out. And my dad's going, I don't think I don't think anything happened to it. I think it's this is my father, the early 60s, the original conspiracy guys. I don't think anything happened. I think it's I think they know where it is. Hmm. It's out. Don't worry about it. They've got it. You know, <laughs> it's good. I'm, I'm, I'm 10 going, I, I don't know. What do you mean, Dad? But um, so I grew up in a in a really staunchly <clears throat> patriotic home, even though both of my folks were, were Canadian originally and uh, uh, a staunchly uh, conservative home. Um, and uh, uh, and I loved uh, the country as a result of that. And I loved the flag as a result of that. And uh, particularly America's history of uh, being uh, at the front when it came to uh, uh, defending people who were, you know, enslaved. It was only as I got older and I got more educated and, and I broadened my view of the country that I became maybe a little little bit more liberal than my folks. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they, they rooted me pretty well in, in that. I have my brother's flag. <clears throat> we just uh, five years ago buried him over at Riverside National Cemetery. Um, so, you know. That's uh, that's that's yeah, that's our family. That's in our blood. And uh, being a part of a military family, we're all military here. 
so we understand what it's like to have that kind of uh, background or that kind of uh, you know following or, or remembrance for your family. Kevin has a how many uh, members of your family serve, Kevin? Ah, uh, geez. Um, so um, my stepmom, my dad, my stepdad, myself. I've got some cousins, uncles, uh, my uncles in Vietnam. Um, yeah, I mean, quite quite a bit actually. Yeah, hmm. from from World War Two up to uh, you know Korea to me and Iraq. Were, were you Marine Corps? Army. You guys are army. Yeah, we're all army. <laughs> army infantry guys here. Oh no, I love you guys. Um, the Marines have a particular sense of humor though that I find to be pretty engaging. Um, and it goes something like this: It's like um, it would go along the lines of, um, "Did you see that guy get shot?" You know, no, I, I did, but I, I wasn't at that particular time engaged enough to really care about it. You know, that kind of shit, you know, I wasn't engaged enough to even give a shit. Um, so, you know, I I, um, I I think the culture is very funny, and I borrowed a lot from Vietnam veteran friends of mine uh, when I come up with characters like General Galen Shaw. You know, I had a friend of mine who was in Vietnam as a... Uh, uh, the head of a platoon, and this, what these guys were doing was topography. They were mapping the countryside. Okay. And uh, the stories that he told were fascinating. He said the most dangerous moment for me, he said, was we had to tie ourselves to a tree during a, a bloody typhoon or hurricane or whatever the hell they call them over there. I said, that's interesting. So I just used that with General Shaw. You know, the, the toughest time I had in Vietnam was tying myself to a tree. That was it, you know? That, so I wouldn't get blown away. Uh, just bullshit like that, but... Um, no, I, I, I honor and I love all those guys, and uh, um, and like I said, my father was in the major comedy influences of my life. The two biggest comedy influences of my life were my father and my brother, funniest guys in the world. Both of them were hysterically funny. Yeah, it's fairly so, easy to say a lot of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life were also funny as hell true. in the back of a Bradley, laughing our ass off, smoking cigarettes. Yeah, right exactly. Now. Yeah. In fact, I got a I got a message from guys in Iraq when the Iraq War started. This guy says to me, we're, we were in a dugout or whatever the hell you guys call it, the ditch or something, with these tracer bullets flying overhead. And I started, he said, I started doing a Bud Dickman impression. <laughs> you know, this is a character of mine. Yeah. He says, there I are. And and the two of us just uh, sort of kept our fear at bay by going into these Phil Henry show impressions of characters and shit. So <clears throat> be that as it may, um, uh, yeah, I, um, um, I love and honor those guys. You know, I lost my brother five years ago. My my father's been gone for over thirty years. But uh, like I said, their biggest contribution to me was was humor. They were funny dudes. Yeah, no, the military definitely. I mean, especially with like the types of jobs that you that, you, that we have to do. Um, like Tyree and I were both infantry, right? We saw combat in Iraq, and so you can't you can't experience some of those things and and. Um, and try to stay serious about it. So you have to have, you have to find the humor, the good, the humor and all these. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it is really interesting how, uh, you, you know, a lot of times, like you'll, you'll relate in those moments to pop culture. And because, uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's what we're familiar with. And so <clears throat> everything kind of turns into a joke or a story. So it's really neat to hear you say that, like, you know, you, you've taken, you know, somebody else's experience and then turning it into it. So it's kind of like the inverse of it. it's really neat. I think that's what everybody does. Um, when you, you know, when I do a character, when I create a character, you unconsciously, but you also consciously know you're doing it. You're, you're building a biography. So, 
you can't do any real character without, in your mind, giving him a history. Well, where did he come from? General Shaw is this character that actually came out of a, of a different uh, guy that I had, Lloyd Bonafide. And he was uh, his voice was way up here. And I'll tell you something right now. No, none of these suckers out here. You know, these are guys I grew up with on my street in Arcadia, California. They were all World War II and Korean veterans. And they had the big globe and anchors, the flat top haircuts, the shorts, uh, uh, plaid shirts, short sleeve shirts. And they're like, now, let me tell you kids something. My property ends here. See this? This is the southeastern corner. You get the ball over here in the strawberries. You'll never see the ball again. You all understand that, right? The ball goes away. <laughs> well, God, Mr. Hey, hey, hey. You know, um, I knew a million of these guys, millions of these cats, you know, and <laughs> up and down the damn street. Yeah. So, but Lloyd, but because we, we pinned him in time and, and that's a, it's a tough thing to do in, in comedy or in, in, in writing anything. When you pin a guy in time and you make Lloyd a, a Korean war veteran, well, that gives him age. And now he's like in his nineties. Mm-hmm. If I had to bring him back, I got to, so I did bring him back. I brought him back in the person of General Shaw, who's a Vietnam veteran. But sooner or later, he's going to have to go away. Well, I guess I'm going to have to go away before any of them. But you know what I'm saying. So, um, or I may outlive them all. I don't know. You know. But yeah, there's no. Yeah, I was going to say I don't know if that's entirely true though, because I mean we can look at characters from like I mean South Park. They've been in the fourth grade for 20 years. That's a good point, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good point. Bobby Dooley is the character I do, and she has these three sons who are always going to be in high school. Mm -hmm. AC, we're not going to be in high school, you know. Yeah. Dylan Seth. So, yeah. But when you say, see, those guys are in the fourth grade, and that's kind of this 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 nebulous fourth grade universe. But if you say, I'm a Korean War veteran, people start to right. go, well, that make you 116 years old. How does that feel? You know? Yeah, true. So, right. So, so I, I, I wonder, so like uh, some of these characters, for example, that you've got, you know, this Korean War veteran. So let's say radio or the internet 100 years from now 150 years from now and somebody not realizing that what they're listening to is, is satire you know like have you, have you thought about like how that's going to play out for those people like, we're, really? we're is- heading for that we're heading for that universe yeah well i mean look uh, everybody points to jonathan swift's essay on what to do with poor people in england jonathan swift was it was an 18th century satirist and everyone points to that essay as being the beginning of modern Western satire. And in it, Jonathan Swift said the problem of the poor in England can be solved uh, if we can develop recipes for them. <laughs> I propose that we eat them. <laughs> and this was in the 18th century. You imagine this goddamn thing? Well, it caused outrage. Everything else. But everybody said, wow, that is that's a great commentary on how the society is viewing poor people to begin with. And, and it's funny. And. And we get it even today, 200 years later. So in 100 years, I I think people will get the joke. But the problem is um, the ones that don't get the joke. Yeah, that's that's where they can be. You know, (laughs) what do we do about them? You know, right. Um, Yeah, because somebody could very easily read that same quote and be like, they were going to eat poor people. What the fuck yeah. was wrong with people? Right. Yeah. You know, um, I used to say, you know, when we did our radio show, I would say, um, when people would say to me, it took me about six months to get what you were doing, but I get it now. I go, six months? Wow. That's pretty scary, man. You know, it's, I don't know if I want to know you or not, you know. Yeah. Took me six, you know, or um, took me about three weeks. In my mind, it, it should take you not more than maybe a couple of nights listening to know that this is absolute 
garbage, you know, with what I'm saying, you know, and, and or at least not, not, not so much garbage as it's, it's a put on, you know. Oh, yeah. No, but, at, the, uh, at the time listening, I knew and almost in, not almost almost immediately. It took me uh, maybe a couple commercial breaks until I realized, like, oh, my God, like these people are falling for this. Like, I can't believe this. They're, they're, they're falling right. Like and people are calling in and people are getting pissed off. And I listen to other shows and people are getting angry with you. And I'm like, well, I got this character that I did, R.C. Collins, and he was based sort of on these little punks that we all knew when we were growing up. There was always that little kid that came around who was like, yeah, where are you guys going to go today, huh? None of your business, okay? Yeah. You want to try? Go ahead. Try me. Mm-hmm. Try me. You know, you're like, all you want to do is pick him up and throw him. So yeah. uh, this little character, R.C. Collins, and he was, this was, this was his thing. When I get over to Iraq, I'm going to bring bin Laden's head out on a stick. <laughs> His skull and everything. Then you'll see. Mm-hmm. You know. You know what? The way what I the way I got it figured is what what I'm going to sacrifice in Iraq, Mister Henry. Hey, Mister Henry. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening. Yeah. Well, I think that all the young women in America should give us a break. You know, before we go over and you know, I'm, I'm basically he's asking all the young women to give up their virginity for these cats that are going to go over to Iraq. You know? mm-hmm. And you think it's ridiculous, but we had people calling and a lot of military. And I have to tell you, I felt bad for them. Saying, um, there's one uh, sergeant, she was like hard ass going, let me tell you something, troop, you know, <laughs> this, that, and something else. And he said this rude shit, you know, and and all, all she's just telling him, you know, he said, well, you know what, all you are is a slacker. If that's slacking, you come and get some. <laughs> He's going at it with these people. So um, R.C. was a great uh, character for me because he was the perfect television watching young person who thinks it's all about just you know I don't know talking like your hard ass and then uh, going over and but then then we did do one show with him where he goes well you know Mr. Henry I'm thinking if I get over to Iraq and it's, it gets a little too hairy I, I may want to push the eject button on the whole thing you know and well I don't know if they're going to let you do that man well yeah they will yeah they will <laughs> You know, like, okay, uh, yeah, keep thinking that. That'll work for you. Yeah, exactly. You know, so um, every which way we could cover that kind of, because I found the most engaged callers, the people, forgive me, the ones that really didn't get the joke, were parents. Because anytime you, you engage somebody in something really um, organic and emotional, their, their um, rationale just goes right out the window. The discriminatory uh, thinking process goes out the window. They just want to commit murder, you know. So <laughs> if you're messing with their kids, pilots, if we started talking about air travel or avian, boy, the pilots checked in oh, and the military. Yeah, Anytime we talk about the military, here comes all these, you know, military people mm-hmm. ready to kill. Uh, and we learned how to, to manipulate uh, in that way. We knew the, the issues to talk about. Uh, and we would refine them and um, and get callers that way. But really, you have a caller, you have a listener base that's 100% of people. Your caller base, any talk show in America, the caller base is only maybe a one, per, 1 to 2% of your audience. Not big. And in Los Angeles, it was, it was postulated or posited uh, back when I was on the air that we had in L.A. back, say, in the early 2000s, no more than 3,000 talk show callers in the whole city. The same 3,000 people calling, you know, all the talk shows. Mm-hmm. So I like to think that we might have broadened it a little bit by pissing a few people off and getting them to call. You know, people who would, would never ordinarily not call would call. Yeah. That's a really small number considering the size of L.A. I mean, very much so. Yeah, it's 
it's like, you know, <clears throat> there's active and there's passive fans of anything. Mm-hmm. When I, I had a buddy of mine programmed a radio station in San Francisco, he said, we got 10,000 fan letters our first month. I said, I bet you thought you were kicking ass. He said, yeah. And then the ratings came out. We found out we had exactly 10,000 listeners, you know. Yeah. In other words, you know, the, the people that engage you with passion, yeah, they do. But that doesn't mean they're representative of what the what the, the mass is doing. And um, WWE, like you, wrestling, you would think that that's the national pastime of America when you turn that shit on TV, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how many people do you think really watch go watch wrestling? Yeah, if you look Probably at the numbers, it's not very high at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably all of them there at the stadium. They're, they're all there at the arena. So we found out that um, talk show callers are the same. And uh, the good programmers would always say to you, man, don't pay attention to the phones. Pay attention to the guy out there that's not calling. That's who you're doing the show for. And so that's what we did. We brought callers on our show as part of the cast. as part of the entertainment and forgive me, but we didn't really care whether their feelings got hurt or not. Cause I figured they're adults and they know what they're getting into and they're making a phone call in there. And sometimes they would try to emotionally manipulate you, you know, caller calls in and says, let me tell you something. I had a character, his name's Harvey Wireman. He's a, here's another military. Harvey was a, he's a world war uh, WW2 Marines. Okay. And I went to the Jag Corps with F. Lee Bailey and I became a lawyer because that's, that's all they knew. I, Oh, Jesus. Henry, just, what did you do, Phil? I knocked the thing. Okay. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah. So, uh, uh, what was I saying? Something about military and... Uh, Jag Corps. Jag Corps. No, no, no. But we were making a larger point about callers and listeners. And, uh, oh, 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 this guy calls up. And I've, I've got Harvey on you. And he's talking about this and that. And the guy calls up and says... And this is what some callers would do to try to emotionally manipulate. The guy says, you know what? I lost my daughter in an automobile accident last night. And Harvey, yeah, I wish you a piece of ass. Oh, God. <laughs> now, that sounds <laughs> fucked up to do. That sounds bad. But that guy walked right into it. Yeah. And, and I always had a rule. Nobody gets to come on the show and try to manipulate the show emotionally because anybody can do that, mm-hmm. whether they're telling the truth or not. And what what guy would call up a radio show and talk to people that he doesn't know about something so traumatic um, without knowing he's going to get, you know, fired back on. So, believe it or not, the audience forgave us for that. The audience would go, that's pretty funny. You know, you wouldn't think that they would, but they did. They thought that's, you know, that that, that guy got what he deserved. So, um, but that was was Harvey, you know, and he was talking about... uh, a billboard, that was it. He was, I saw a billboard for this beautiful lawyer. And what a piece of ass. I shouldn't say that, Phil, because, you know, women are, are equal, are intellectual equal. But, uh, you know, well, what, don't you think women should be respected for how they, you know, yeah, yeah, sure, they, they should be respected. This guy calls in, my daughter was going to be a lawyer, but she got run over by a car. Yeah, was she a piece of ass, too, like the one on the billboard? So, uh, you know, we're, we, you know. <laughs> And and and, I'm, and and that sounds terrible, and and I'm I'm sorry for the man, but you know the, my show is not the place to call and and uh, uh, air your your grief, if you will. Yeah. Well, I think the you know if, if somebody's listening to your show, like you're 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 like you know your true listeners, your diehards or whatever, they they, they know what the show's for. They get they get the show. They they understand the satire. They understand that it's you know it's a show, right? It's, yeah. it's meant to be a fictional thing. So when somebody calls in, you know, offended, well. Okay, guess what's coming? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I will say when it comes to kids, um, we will stop down and we'll explain it to them. We had a we, we did a bit one night where this kid was uh, in L.A. back in the late 90s. Maybe you remember, Tyree, there was a lot of, of uh, there were drive by. There were there were car to car shootings going on in the freeways. But m- also something was happening. There was a gang initiation happening. Yeah. Drive around where you had off. to like, yeah, shoot or something. I don't know. I, but we came on and we were doing this bit. We were interviewing a gangbanger played by me who was saying that he was going to, you know, slingshot people's cars. This kid calls during the break and Jonas is my producer says, talk to this kid. She says, my mom is out driving. She comes home at night. You know, I'm worried. I said, honey, I'm doing the voice. And you, you hear it when, when you do that, you hear the person going, my mom is driving. I'm doing the voice. It's like all of a sudden hysterics on the other end of the phone. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I got a heart. Sometimes, not often, <laughs> but you know, we you need to. to. Yeah, but you have to. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You gotta, you know, show it sometimes. Um, <laughs> but what, what is it? What, so, what got you into voice acting, though? Like, I mean, that's yeah, a very well, oddly specific thing, isn't it? It is, and a lot of people are doing it now. And um, um, with home studios, and with uh, I just noticed the lighting and my black eye, and this I look like shit. Okay, so, um, uh, yeah, no, with home studios and with, uh, with uh, the uh, abundance of opportunity, and there's also agents now, not just located in Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, but there's agents all over the country dealing with all non-union people, and I, and I won't comment one way or the other. Um, I belong to union. Uh, I like being belonging to a union because, you know, I, I, it protects me. And, but there's an awful lot of non-union work out there. So there's a lot of folks. The competition is is getting bigger and, and um, um, commercial work, animation work, looping. Looping is something pretty, actually not too sexy. It's basically here comes a movie from Korea and you have to loop in the English, <clears throat> you know. A lot of people make a lot of money doing that kind of thing, you know. Um, but I, I got into it by accident. I was doing my radio show, Tyree, the one that you were listening to, and I got a call from King of the Hill. That was the first uh, company to call up my agent and say, would Phil be interested in coming and doing some characters? And I'm like, yeah, that would be fantastic, you know. And so from there, I went off and, and did other shows. But um, but since radio went away, I've done a lot more voice acting um, and, and camera stuff, too, Um to the extent that they want this mug anywhere near their cameras, <laughs> I'll do this stuff too. But um. yeah, you're right. Like 100% after the pandemic hit, everyone can have a studio at home. I mean, we started yeah. our whole thing. I mean, after yeah. some suggestions from you in a roundabout way, more or less saying, Hey, mm-hmm. go ahead and start something here. We are, you know, I'm in my studio, AKA my bedroom talking to Phil Hendry with my friend, Kevin on our podcast who, you know, I also work as a talent agent also. So I know everything oh, about what you're, what you're saying with the union and non-union. We're actually looking for agents for our, our own show, but that's, you know, besides the point, anybody out there listening, you know, just keep that on. Yeah. <laughs> Getting representation for a podcast. Where, where do you guys, when you get an agent for your podcast, what is he going to, where's he going to put it? You know, is he going to place it on 
Because you can, oh, you mean sponsors? Is that what you mean? No, no, no. Well, like an actual agent for our show. Uh, my understanding that there's certain shows that after some amount of popularity, there's a certain amount of uh, people who actually go and listen to people do live shows. We want to actually oh, get into something. Yeah, okay. yeah, we want to get into something like idea. that. All, all of our veteran people who listen, I mean, we spill our guts on the show all the time about everything that we've been through in our careers. And like Kevin said, they interact with us and say, hey, we have the same stories we've been through the same thing we just didn't know we can actually talk about it now that we have this platform that we can scream out our stories to everybody it's a really great feeling to be able to get some kind of feedback from those folks and you know oh cool just be out there like that and and we love it i love doing this it's it's fucking fantastic it is fun, man. Yeah, especially it's like, you know, you sit down and you get it all. I get it out of my system every night when I go into my studio and just do anything I want to do, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I got a good uh, platform on Podcast One, but I also have my website. And and for some strange reason, people pay a subscription fee to listen to me, which is really <clears throat> a fortunate thing. I'll, I'll forever be grateful for it. Oh, I've been doing it for years. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're a subscriber? Of course. Oh, out, of sight. out of sight. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to give you a discount, but I can't. No, no, now, I um, no, I'd be breaking that price, Tyree, but you know, yeah. times are tough. Um, Wait, so, so you, you do like money? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, do I like money? Yeah. Insofar as it can buy what I've, what I, insofar as it buys food and things like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. And the occasional trip out of town, yeah. You know, right. Yeah. And uh, my Jaguar SUV, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a piece of crap. It's, it's no good. Um, yeah, I, uh, it's it's a changing environment in terms of entertainment. Um, actors, you know, everybody is like I said. They're looking for faces all the time. Um, they're looking to uh, put people in front of cameras all the time. And you know, I heard Jason Alexander, the guy, the, the uh, former Seinfeld actor, who was on a, a podcast. He said it used to be that you would wait around for somebody to offer you a job. You can't do that anymore. You have to produce it. You got to write it. You got to hire the, you know, you have to actually set yourself up. You have to create and then sell that creation. So it's, it's extremely entrepreneurial. Um, and, and uh, a lot, a lot of actors that I know kids that are still waiting tables in Hollywood and are also going to acting classes and are going and actually doing plays, they're taking business in school. Mm-hmm. And I said, why? He says, Cause I can't leave that to a business manager. A lot of actors used to do that and they wound up, you know, on the street, but now much more savvy young performers who not only handle their career creatively, they handle it in terms of uh, the business side. So a lot of the people that I've been signing recently, when it comes down to contracts and things like that, they have so many questions. I'm like, man, just sign a contract and let me go. (laughs) Let me go make this look. But no, like it's smart. Like, thank you for actually reading all that stuff and holding me accountable. Like, because I know there's certain people in this industry who would totally take advantage of these young actors and just throw them in anything. So it's the last thing I want to do to anybody in this industry. And I'm really glad I even have that opportunity because working with uh, Vincent Vargas, He's a he's a veteran, big big time actor in our community. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, he is helping wow. us out at our talent agency and Infinity Artist Agency uh, grow by hiring as many veteran actors as we possibly can, and uh, that's another huge thing that we're doing. And I love that too. That's been a lot of fun meeting all what's these. The your, what, what's the name of your agency? It's Infinity Artist Agency. Okay, we're it's a new agency. Everything's all SAG franchised and everything's all good to go. But it's 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 been a lot of fun, 
and uh, IAA. IAA, yeah. IAA, I like it, you know. <laughs> so let's switch gears a little bit back into maybe more military stuff. Uh, how did, and this is the, the sad part about our show, is from time to time we have to talk about 9 11. Uh, yeah. We always talk about where we were specifically when it happened. So where was where were you when 9/11 occurred and how did that change your career more or less? I'm afraid it didn't change my career for the good. Um I was at home. I had just awakened and I was taking I had I was married at the time and had four step kids and it was my job twice a week to take them to school. And I was at home and uh all of a sudden my eldest stepson Nick comes into the kitchen he goes plane just hit um, the plane just hit the trade center and I, I'll never forget to I said again because I was thinking of the bombing back in the early 1990s I said somebody bombed it no a plane flew into it so I got up and turned the TV on let's because he was fuck fooling with the radio trying to get uh, trying to get on the radio and I flipped on the TV and I watched this thing unfold for the rest of the day took the kids to school and then had to bring them home because it was like when Kennedy was assassinated when I was a kid they took us to school and then they sent us home and the exact same thing happened I took the kids to school and the teachers there going we're going to give the kids a day off so we turned right around came back had the, had it on TV all day long all day long and I was pissed you know I was angry um I mean, you know, you got to understand to the extent that you got to, I, I don't want to talk politics, but I'm, I'm a voting Democrat. <clears throat> um, I'm pretty liberal, but that doesn't mean that I, I don't want to go out and kick some ass. You know, I mean, uh, uh, the, the Franklin Roosevelt was the uh, ultimate socialist president. A lot of people would say, but he went, he beat, went to war against the Nazis and the Japanese militarists. So um, I think we're all patriotic when it comes to that kind of thing. And I was very angry and I got on my show and I started talking about this shit politically and you couldn't do comedy you had to do serious stuff nobody was going to let you be funny there wasn't anything funny for the next two months at least and eventually we did get back into the characters and they began to address the things the peripheral things around 9-11 Bobby Dooley was saying things like you know I don't think we should fly the American flag as much only on account of it makes the terrorists angry okay (laughs) and well so what so what you know, Mr. Henry, you know how much money we've put into our pool into the community center? Yeah, what if a terrorist comes along and blows it up? I don't think. Well, you don't know. You know, stupid shit like that. And so, but, you know, I started talking a lot more politics and I started talking a lot more about um, how bullshit it was that I think a lot of people didn't want to go to war. People did. They, 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 they wanted Israel to fight a proxy war for us. They thought that it wasn't worth it. They said people just died. 3,000 people got incinerated in front of my very eyes. And I'm supposed to say, oh, well, people die. It happens every day. Not like that. It doesn't, you know. Yeah. But because of the politicizing of the show, I think I alienated a lot of my audience. And um, I don't think I ever really got it back. I know that it, our ratings went up because that's what, what everybody wanted to talk about. But the, the comedy suffered. And um, as a result, I think I think I got a, a little bit of a, a reputation as being kind of a war hawk or some shit like that. Well, actually, all I wanted was uh, to be known as as a funny guy, as a humorist, you know, as a satirist. Hmm. Um if I had it to do over again, I would have probably taken myself off the air for a month. Just said, you know, do some news talk here, man. I, you know, this is not my thing. Um, but, you know, you live and you learn. So that's what I did. 
Yeah. I kind of understand, like, would, would, you know, taking that position that y'all did, though, just because, I mean, you're, you're, so, you're still in the air. You're still relative, right? You have a listener base. And regardless of, of your show, you still have opinions and you still have your beliefs and you should be able to express them. And, you know, if, and, and I think Tyree and I are kind of in agreement here too. I mean, for one, again, like we don't, we don't talk about a lot of that stuff, uh, divisive things because we don't like to alienate one side or the other, mm-hmm. but we also agree that like, you, you know, like our show is what our show is. And if somebody listening doesn't necessarily agree with what we're saying on that particular episode or a couple of them, then that's totally fine. And they can not listen to it. It's okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think for you guys to still continue on and to, and to talk about it the way y'all did, I mean, like that's not necessarily a bad thing, but no. And, and, and I took my cue from a lot of the great broadcasters that I knew growing up. I mean, I remember Bob Hudson, who was one of the funniest, greatest disc jockeys here in Los Angeles. Emperor Hudson is what he called himself. And he had all these great drops like, get off the freeway, peasant. His highness is coming. You know, all these crazy things, man. The cat was he painted this picture. I, I rode my bike to the radio station half thinking he was going to be in this leopard skin room with a purple crown on and the guy was just some dude in his bath, bathroom slippers doing a radio show that oh my god this is great you know mm-hmm. but even he uh one morning was playing barry barry mcguire's eva destruction as a song you guys are too young but it was a hit record in 1965 and it was one of the first real big protest records he took it off the turntable and said i'm not playing that he says i'm not playing that. he says i know i'm not he said i'm not, i'm a commentator i'm an entertainer i'm not a commentator but i'm not going to play that record and I've seen guys doing that down through the years. Dick Gregory, uh, one of the great comics of all time, stood down mobs of people who wanted to burn buildings down. Dick Gregory was a, an act, became more known as an activist than he was a comic. And he was goddamn funny, you know. Um, but these guys inspired me and, and influenced me a lot um, when they stepped out of the entertainer role and into the role of citizen and because it was just too, too important. I, I, I admired that. I wasn't looking to be that, but I, I, I at least had that as a sort of a guide, you know. Um, but, yeah, you know. Yeah. I, think- I, wonder, I wonder if that's like a testament to like how, I mean, times are different. People are different now. I mean, like usually this, this guy in the, in the 60s, you know, during Vietnam War, um, stepping out of the entertainment role, becoming more of a, an activist and kind of speaking out on things and choosing not to play that record, right? Yeah. I mean, people are a lot different. Uh, you know, back in 2001, they sure as hell are a lot different today in 2023. Today, everybody is mixing, mixing and mingling entertainment and politics. Jimmy Kimmel does it very well. Um, and there's cats on the other side of the political spectrum that do it very well. I don't want to touch it myself. Um, I just don't. I, I, it's not good for me. Because one of the things that kills creativity is anger. You know, I worked with a guy in Miami, Neil Rogers, who was so funny, and he was so funny when he was pissed off. He was the funniest guy in the world when he was pissed, and people, people loved Neil. And I would come in and go, Neil, that was the greatest show in the world that you did. What are you talking about? I got no fucking phone calls here. <laughs> so pissed off. <laughs> I used to say to, I used to say to boy, my day was, my day really sucked until I come into the studio. Then I feel good. He goes, really? Man, it's the opposite for me. <laughs> I was doing great until I got here. You know. <laughs> Uh, he just made it, but me, anger doesn't play. I, I, I can't make anger funny. I, I invest too much serious content to my anger. So, um, when I stay away from it, I'm much better off and I would much rather 
somehow find the satire, or at least somehow find that uh, humorous connection. And um, uh, and and it's been a le- it's been a lesson for me, man, because it took me until my late thirties to figure out what the hell it was I really wanted to do as a performer. You know, I mean, I was still jerking around as a disc jockey. Um, so it's been an ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. We actually had a show uh, that talks about don't waste your time wasting time. And uh, I'm in the same boat. I'm 39 starting, well, 38 when we started the show, all over again with everything. I was LAPD for years. uh, Wow. And, and, you know, that went the way it went. And uh, having to start all over and getting some kind of good age to do it though Terry late 30s is a good age to do it that's where a lot of people suddenly find themselves Mm -hmm. you're you're what's the word you're old enough to have learned a lot and you're still young enough to now live your new life yeah you know Phyllis Diller is another comic you guys probably never heard of but she was a copywriter at the age of 38 she didn't know what the hell she was doing she went out on stage she became one of the most legendary comedians in history and she was hitting her stride just going into her 40s, so. Yeah, we know Phyllis Diller. We're not that young, Jesus. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. Well, you know, and that, that seems to be like a common theme that you, you read about all these people who have achieved all these these great things. And, you know, so-and-so didn't do this until their 30s. So-and-so didn't do this until their 40, 45, or whatever. You know, and, I mean, it, you know, in today, today's world, you know, instant gratification, you can get on TikTok and, and everything else. And, like, after a few months have amassed, you know, all these followers and great success and be able to sell things and but how 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 long does that last like is it is it short-lived it will it will it will it stand the test of time or you know when you look at like what you've been doing like you said like phyllis Diller, even like that is that is that is comedy that is entertainment that does stand the test of time like you can listen to it in 50 years and it'll still be funny yeah and and i think uh, you're talking about more of the influencer crowd yeah i don't know I don't know how they're monetizing their shit. It's pretty amazing. Some of these YouTubers living in $13 million homes. Jesus, where, where'd that money come from? But um, where can I find it? I can't. I wouldn't know their names, though, man. Yeah, I wouldn't know their names. You said to me, do you know Billy Brown? I never heard of him. What are you? T- he's one of the great influencers on YouTube. I never fucking heard of the guy, man, you know? Yeah. Um, that happens all the time. Kevin and me and Kevin are talking about like uh, specific podcasters, and he's like, "Oh, you can listen to this one." I'm like, "I have no clue who that is." Like, <laughs> I don't, is, yeah. I don't know who that yeah. is, but he only has thousands of followers. I'm like, "Okay." I, personally, I, I don't really care much for the follower thing because, like we explained before, following it, it's 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 a mirage to me. Like, you can have hundreds of followers, but only like three of them are actually going to interact with the crap that you put out. This and then those- true. And also, it's, it's it bears noting that a lot of people that are have followers a lot of those followers hate them exactly you know, they hate their guts you know i noticed certain political uh, uh personalities on twitter uh that i wouldn't necessarily agree with are followed by people that i know who i happen to know who share my political beliefs and they're following this guy and i'm thinking he's got literally thousands of people following him who don't like him yeah that's pretty interesting but yeah. you know if it's free it's free it's not costing them any money so what the hell? Fuck it. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, we're going to talk about uh, the actual show that you have now with all mm-hmm. the voices. The, what's it? How many hours do you have now? 50,000? Well, on our website, we got 55,000 hours. Uh, much of that is the old radio show, the classic radio show from like the early 90s to mm. 2006. And then from two or. 
Yeah, 2006, and then from around uh, 2013 forward is all of our digital stuff. And by digital, I mean stuff that was not on the air air, as in radio waves, was on the on the uh, on the internet. Yeah. And uh, that show that I do today is a pared down thirty minute per day. I guess a satire of uh, 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 radio presentation. I do four or five different character voices, all interacting on some topic. Um, an example: today's show, we are interviewing a grocer. Who's been on my show? He's a he has a grocery store Bob at Anaheim. Green. His name's Bob Green. Okay, and uh, I was the CEO of Fraser Foods, but I bought the brand, and I now call it Bob Green's Greens and Meats. Okay. Oh, and the chef Chodilia, who is the chef at Ted's Beverly Hills, who talks like this. Oh, Bob Green's Green Meat. Well, no, not Green Meat. Boy, I get this problem. It's Bob Green's Greens and Meat. Okay, Bob Green's Greens and Meat. Do you ever have people like, uh, and then Bud jumps in. Yeah, does anybody ever say, like, beat the meat or something like that? No, no, no one said it until you just said it, kid, okay? So I find that to be, Mr. Henry, is he trying to? Bud, don't say it. So then I jump in. Don't don't talk crap about the guy. He's trying to get his business going. I just said, he, he talked about beating the meat. I never said anything about, you know. <laughs> now, it makes me laugh. I don't know about anybody else. But this is what I do every day for a half of a goddamn hour, and uh, and I get off on it, man. And every time I open up my bank account, there's some money coming in from subscribers. I don't know what it's going to end today. You know, it's like, it's like I do this and go, ah, there's something in there, you know. <laughs> That's how it's got to be. Like uh, me and my son. My son is 14 years old now. And yeah. he listens every day with with me, not with me, but, you know, and yeah. I love it. It's awesome. And the fact that, you know, he's in school right now and I'm like, hey, I'm going to talk to Phil today. He's like, oh, you have to tell him I said hi. And I'm a huge fan. And I'm like, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. It is kind of like a big kid thing. You know, it's, I'm doing exactly what I was doing when I was 13 and 14 years old, mm-hmm. you know, doing goofy voices and stuff. And uh, um, yeah. There it is. And, and, and every day I go in there and, you know, David Bowie said that to be an artist is to be walking in the end of the pool where your feet are barely touching the bottom. You never want to have your feet on the bottom of the pool. You want to be just almost, you can't feel the bottom. Meaning you got to challenge yourself all the time. Or Kurosawa said an artist never, never closes his eyes. An artist must never close his eyes. So I go into my work every day thinking, what can I do today that nobody, nobody's ever done, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, or that, um, and I'm laughing because God knows what that could be. I mean, I can think about five or six different things, but uh, I did a whole show once where I was just speaking made up Spanish. <clears throat> and I realized, well, that who's going to listen to that shit? But I did it. I did it for like half an hour going, I don't know how to, you know, making mm-hmm. up words. Um, and I real, you realize very quickly. Well, that's not getting any listeners. You know, that's just that's just you. You know, uh, tripping. So, but you always have to find something that is going to challenge yourself, and you're going to challenge the audience because the one thing the audience doesn't want is to be bored. The other thing the audience wants, though, is you know to have their expectations met. They want to know that you're the guy they love, and you're not too weird. But they also want you to get weird and surprise them. So it's a an interesting little. Um, game to play. You know, is that a hard line? Is that a hard line to walk? Um, not getting too weird. 
Yeah, you don't want to get weird for weird's sake, because then you just sound like a self-indulgent jackass, and you, you sound mm-hmm. stupid. People, I think people see through it. They read through it. They go, mm-hmm. stop it, you know. Um, but I can, the evolution of my show, I used to be a, a, a consistent cat. You know, it's Phil Henry here, and I have my guests, and we're going to talk about these topics. And and, and in, in the last year or so, or last two years, it's just me coming on in, in a character voice. Just, uh, you know, and good evening, I'm Chef Carl Chedilia. And I'm going to be your host tonight. And just, you know, or um, uh, my name is Steve Bozell, and uh, I'm a construction contractor in Corona, California. And welcome to the Steve Bozell Experience. Yeah. And I'm going to, you know, it's just, and and because and, I, I worked for, for years in, in the construction trade as a cement finisher. And, and I just thought this guy, uh, having a construction contractor who gets his feelings hurt and is going to cry a lot, I thought would be a really interesting guy. But you know, come on, just, you know. And I want to talk about my daughter, April Jr. Her name's April Jr.? Yeah. Mr. Henry, I thought I was going to get to be the host and you don't. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to ask any questions. Okay. My daughter's name is April Jr. She's named after her mother. What's the big deal? I just never heard of a girl. Well, now you have. I mean, God damn. You know, and this dude is going to make an issue out of this for five minutes that I asked him the question that your daughter's name is April Jr. I never heard of her. You know, my daughter is April Jr. My son is Steve Jr. My wife is April Jr. I mean, she's April. Yeah, she's April. And that's the other thing. And the other thing that I got to also negotiate is this. Frank Gray is a character of mine. This is no commentary at all on transgender or on, on identity. It's just this character, Frank. Because of a bout with a, a, a VD that he had as a young man, he, he got neurosyphilis. It fucked him up so much that now he refers to men as she and women as he. It's got nothing to do with anything. It's like, you know, I, I love Phil Henry because she does a show that I enjoy. My son and I, we, we, we listen, and, and Jason, she loves it too. <laughs> you know, to me, that just is funny, man. And I'm not making any commentary either way. So yeah. when all this shit came down, I went, oh, I'll have Frank say it. That way I won't, you know. And so I listen to the Phil Henry show. It, it comes on at, uh, what's his name? Uh, its name is Phil Henry. And yeah. it's a great guy. I've had drinks with it. <laughs> now, there's something to me that's basically funny about calling the guy it, you know. Um, but you run into that, man. Like, for instance, uh, I do any number of ethnic dialect accents. I was going to talk about that. Uh, ask about that. Yeah. And, and I stopped doing, I had a character named Robert Leonard who was African-American. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a number of African-American characters. I stopped doing those characters primarily because I have a lot of friends that are actors, uh, a lot of act- a lot of uh, men of color, women of color who, believe it or not, got aced out of jobs because a white guy was doing a black person voice. So I, I don't want to go down there, man. I, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I, I don't think I do that good of a quote-unquote black person voice anyway. So I stopped doing that. Although I have to tell you, one of the funniest voices I ever heard in my life was Richard Pryor doing a white couple in a movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I you think know. I think the let's funniest. Sit, let's sit here, dear. This looks like a good seat. You know, <laughs> but um, I, I would rather people guess the ethnicity of my characters. You know, I would rather people say, "What color is that character?" I don't know. What color do you think he is? You know, Emory Clayton. Uh, Huh? Emory Clayton, your your character. Professor Emory Clayton is another one. That, that's a character I'm thinking of bringing back because uh, he is very specific. He's a college professor, and I don't take any shit from anybody, Phil. Excuse my language, but I've got these students that are ready to drive me nuts. You know, mm-hmm. he's the kind of guy who's stuck. I took a student the other day, a young man, and this is in uh, my English uh, class, 
and I lifted him up over my head and threw him through a window. Now, it was only about 10 feet off the floor, but, you know. <laughs> Aaron Clayton's a great character. Um, one of my favorites, I, one of my most favorite, and, and, you, and like you said, you couldn't do those, you don't do those voices anymore, was Pastor William Reddick. Pastor William Reddick, yeah. And he was based on, one of the things about every single character that I do, they're based on real people. Mm-hmm. Every character I do, I can tell you the person they're based on. Uh, Pastor Rennick is based on Hosea Williams. I used to listen to Hosea Williams in Atlanta when I was working at WSB on Sunday nights. There he was, 15 feet from the microphone. And I'll tell you something else. You know, <laughs> hey, Pastor, do you want to work the mic closer or something? What, what do you mean? <laughs> okay, I'm in the studio now. Where's the microphone? Hey, you know, no, dude, get up on the mic and talk to So, uh, yeah, Hosea Williams, Pastor Rennick was uh, was uh, Hosea Williams all the way. Uh, <clears throat> Mavis Leonard's another character of mine based on a caller of mine. This lady called my show every week, this elderly woman who was very funny when she told Margaret one night, you're going to look mighty funny walking down the street on your two feet with my boot up your ass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so, so, and then I have Dave Oliva, who's uh, every every Hispanic kid that I knew, and I grew up mostly in San Gabriel Valley here in Southern California, where it was more of a, a Hispanic population and white population than anything else. I went to school with all these kids like Dave Oliver, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to school with kids like uh, Brass Nueva, <laughs> and they're all based on guys that I knew, uh, friends of mine, or just acquaintances. But you can't really explain that to people. Um, you just It's just better that you just shit can the voices, you know. Mm. And when people ask me about it, I tell them, hey, what happened to that character? I don't do those characters anymore, man. I don't do black characters. I don't do uh, for these reasons, you know. Um, out of respect to a lot of actors, uh, uh, people of color who have been in the business who didn't get jobs um, and were sitting around, you know, with no gig while there was a white guy black facing it. And I don't want it to, uh, you know, deal with that shit. So <clears throat> I, I say this with the greatest of humility. I'm talented enough to do anything I want to do without having to uh, rely on any particular kind of, of uh, voice. So, you know, there you have it. Is it getting darker? A little bit. Still, got darker here. <laughs> I can hear rain coming. Is it raining where you guys are, man? Uh, it's been pissing down all bloody day. Yeah, same yeah. here. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, in here. I'm in Arkansas, so yeah, we're, it's, we're coming oh. into our rainy season. Yeah. California, it's been raining for the last four months. At least you need it, though. I've been in a drought for the last 10 years. It's true. It's true. That is true. I mean, maybe not this much at one time, though, because that's how you get mudslides. And yeah, you know, we could deal with less. But, um, you know, and every every week it's like there's another atmospheric river coming this time. It'll be hitting. Oh, Jesus, you're kidding again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to ask you. I got to ask you. I gotta ask you. I, so you you. So yeah. Okay, Tyree has thrown out a couple of names at you of characters. You you have thrown out a ton, and you can just immediately transition into these into these character voices and this character mindset. Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you keep track of all that stuff? Um, Well, I don't know. The best way I can describe that um, is to say that uh, it's like a conversation with myself. I think we all have these internal conversations going on. You know, hey, am I going to go across the street or am I gonna, what should I do? Oh, fuck it. I'll just get in the car and drive to the store and I'll get some cigarettes there. Or, you know, and I just bring them up front and automatically click into a character is the best way I know how. It's it's like, it's like you know, Jung says, Jung wrote that we all have personas. We have the husband persona. We have the best friend persona. 
one of the biggest mistakes we can possibly make is stop being who we are and get married and become the husband version of us. That's that's like a big mistake, you know, uh, become the this. We need to recognize that as a persona, but don't become that. And what I uh, take it a little bit further, not so much persona as their personalities. So that when I want to say something like, um, <clears throat> oh, I'm talking to my good friends today on uh, the podcast. Uh, oh, Steve Bozell. Now, I know him by this voice. And I know why I invented him. I know him to express these certain things. He's got a certain personality. Now, why do I? Why is it easy for me to express this personality? Because I know people like this, and they bother me. And <laughs> my best way of, of getting my angst out about it is to go into character. You know. So I, you know, I just want to tell you, Mr. Henry, that uh, I think it's bad that he looked at me and you know and laughed at me. Well, who gives a shit? You know. Oh wow. <laughs> oh, get the big radio star. Okay, all of a sudden using an S bomb on me. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and and we've all known these. So so, it's it's um, it's how I it's 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 when I get into my performer persona when I'm entertaining, I will go into these characters. And, and since I'm with you, you good guys here today, telling you about what my entertainment platform is, I'm going into this uh, series of characters as a demonstration, as an illustration of what I do. If we were just kicking it in my living room and watching a ball game, you wouldn't hear me do one damn voice. Hmm. We'd be making jokes. We'd be powering some beers maybe. And we would be uh, laughing at what we see on TV, but I wouldn't be doing character voices. You know, I would just be Phil, you know, talking to you guys, but because I'm in performance mode, all of the things that, I bring to the table as a performer are, are top of mind, which includes all these characters, all their attitudes, and also Phil Hendry is giving a descriptive, you know, sort of running commentary on them. That's the best way. I, can, I don't think I answered the question very well, but uh, no, you, you did. And actually, so it kind of makes me think. So, like, so this isn't something that's just like, like throughout your day to day life. I mean, yeah. So I I have the internal dialogue where you know there's there's, there's constantly talking in my head and apparently some people don't have that but there's a lot there's always talking going on in my head and there's always like i need to go into the kitchen what are you doing in the kitchen for i have to do this thing okay you should go do that thing and so it basically what it sounds like to me is like you're assigning a voice and a character to the responder but it's not something that you do 100 percent of the time no uh, what i'm doing is i'm assigning a character to the responder but the specific conversation is one that i've mapped out for the entertainment of my audience. Yeah. So it becomes, uh, it's, it's an organic, uh, embedded thing. This, this conversation that we all have, except it's about thus and so, and it involves these guys. And that, that's how I'm able to kind of do these transitions. People go, it's it's so fast the way you go back and forth. It's just because it is the conversation we have. I'm just putting different voices on it. And the conversation is one that I've, that I've, predetermined so i might be saying god damn it what a day it's going to be today man listen to this damn rain i don't know if i should move the car back inside and suddenly it becomes something like oh i think i'll do that on the show god damn look at the rain today. i don't i don't know if i should i move the car inside then comes the improvisational part i go should i move the car inside and i improv into the wife april who by the way sounds like a man hmm. uh, but she's I beautiful inside? i don't give a shit what you do just get out just move the car <laughs> um and that 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 is when you start to improv that, that dialogue, you know, and you're improving that those lines and everything. By the way, that April voice. Um, I had a girlfriend once who was stone gorgeous, tall redhead. She was taller than me, 
which was kind of a problem. But she was a beautiful redheaded chick, but she had one of these... Uh, uh, she didn't have a man's voice, but she sang like female alto in the choir she was in. Shit, mm-hmm. uh, really beautiful girl. And so I, 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 Steve's wife April is this girl. She's a, got long, gorgeous red hair, model good looks, beautiful body, but uh, is in the background talking like this. You know, now some people say, "Are you making fun of transgender people?" No, fuck no. She's a woman. You know. Born a woman, but she's got this goofy voice. You want to know why? Why? Because I can do that. Because it's fantasy. Because it's comedy. Because it's it's funny to hear a man's voice come out of a beautiful woman's face. You know. <laughs> but today, you know, as you guys know, today people are going to want to take that someplace and go. You're making fun of transgender people, aren't you? Fuck no, not at all. Yeah, and that's that's man. That has been the thing the last several years is uh, cancel culture in regards to with comedy, right? Like it's comedy. It's it's meant to make you laugh, or you know. And if comedy can sometimes make you laugh and have a thought as well, then so be it. But like it's meant to make you laugh. You have to know the point of what you're doing, though. You have to be clear on your point, otherwise people will eat you alive. It happened to Don Imus, who was a disc jockey in New York, a great, supremely talented man, who made the mistake one day of watching on TV. A women's basketball team, uh, I believe it was the Villanova women, mm-hmm. I think it was all black players, and he repeated something he heard one of his staff members say. He said, nappy-headed hoes. Mm. It was all and one of the, you know, And I, I don't want to be offensive, but here's, here's my point. If you're going to say something like that, what's your point? What is your point, man? Why did you say that? Well, and I must had no answer. I heard the guy say it. I just said it. I didn't mean it. To say I didn't mean anything by it is not sufficient. You have to say, here is what I was trying to illustrate by saying what I said. Now, you still may get fired, and you still get a lot of people hating your guts, but at least you're coming from a place of clarity. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's said that uh, perception is reality, and that's true. So when a comic gets on stage and bombs with a joke so bad that people think think he's a racist uh, my response is you didn't you didn't deliver that joke very well brother you 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 fucked that up so, excuse my french you messed that up somehow and it came across to the audience as a racist joke well no they don't get it aha you don't have the luxury of saying that as a comedian you do not have that luxury to say they didn't get it you didn't communicate it properly you did not deliver that line properly so I don't have a lot of sympathy for uh, for entertainers that say they didn't understand what what I was where I was going. Now I get it that some people are purposefully misread and they are purposefully maligned. Um, but in, in 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 the instance of a comic who is controversial and doesn't really want to illustrate explain to the audience what he's going for, he's he's going to get what he's going to get, you know. And you can't I can't really blame the audience for if they misunderstood it. It's up to him to explain it. Yeah, right, and that, and that goes back to you know, like I had to learn a lesson the hard way, right? Like in, in a relationship, right? If I say something that is wrong to the person that I'm dating, whatever, and they get their feelings hurt, and I'm like, well, that shouldn't hurt your feelings because I didn't mean it that way. Well, I don't get to choose right what hurts their feelings. How they're I feeling. just didn't. Yeah, I didn't just I I just didn't convey my point well enough in in a way that didn't hurt their feelings. Right. Um. So that you it's kind of it sounds like the the same thing here. I I, I believe it is, I, and I believe it it, it really is now. If after you explain what you said, they still want to hate you, well, now you're in an environment that you have to you have to analyze. Is this environment one where they they, they just want to hate you? It doesn't matter. Um, maybe this was just the wrong crowd, man. Maybe they came in hating your guts and they wanted to find something wrong with you. 
Okay, you got to deal with that. But uh, be that as it may, you have to be clear on your point. And if you're clear on your point, people are going to be on your side most of the time. Even maybe even the people that don't agree with you, at least they're going to say, "Well, okay, I know where you're coming from." Um, with what you said, but there was no defending that, and and he got fired as a result. Um, anytime I was on the air and I could not really articulate the point, I would tell the audience I messed up. Like, I'll give you an example. During 9-11, after 9-11, there was a big anthrax scare. Anthrax was kind of funny because we had a guy by the name of Jay Sanis. He comes from Baltimore. He's got this Baltimore accent, right? And he thinks he's a cop, and he's not. He's got this. He's got the Citizens Auxiliary Police. You're not really a cop, are you? Uh, you know, Mr. Henry, let's, we'll just reserve that for a future moment. But we're out here at the Quevco Mall, and I had the Q-tip, and I put up the man's nose. Are you you're kidding right now? Why would I kid? I want to find out. You can't put a Q-tip up a guy's nose at the mall, okay? And it's very funny. Well, we tried to do the same thing with tuberculosis. No, 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 no. Tuberculosis is airborne, deadly as fuck. You know, it's, uh, and I came on the next night and I said, I, I really blew it, you guys. I'm sorry about that bit. Um, it was not very well thought out. And uh, I probably should, I'll do better. Now, the people that love me said, it's okay, Phil, we get it. Thank you very much. The people that hated me went, yeah, see, you asshole. I can't help it. You know, I mean, they're going to hate me. They're going to hate me, you know, but uh, I, I'm happy to say to my audience, yeah, that wasn't very, that wasn't very good of me. That wasn't very smart of me. You know that that scared some people. They were calling up again. Are you, you serious about tuberculosis, man? No, I'm not. But you know, maybe I better explain myself. So, yeah. Well, that says a lot about the people who listen. Like they, a lot of times, you know, they they hang on to your word and they take it as the absolute truth. And it's like, man, yeah. you know, this is just uh, this is jokes. You know, this is funny stuff. Like, and not everything yeah. that I say you should take so seriously. Like, that's that's what you're here for, right? To to joke around. You you get that right. And then I guess a lot of people just don't understand. It's not always well, serious. It's, they may it's, not like they just may not like the nature of the joke. Yeah. You know. Um, in which point I, I can understand that. I can I can appreciate that. Um, so Dave Chappelle, Dave is a brilliant comic. Dave has worked in the transgender material. He's just not going to get a lot of people on his side with that shit. He just isn't. I don't care how funny he is. Um, and Dave has accepted that. I think, I think he said, okay, I'll be at odds with those people. I'm okay with that. He's a very confront. I wouldn't say Dave Chappelle's confrontational so much as he's just rooted in his belief system. Uh, he's a funny son of a bitch. And uh, for the most part, people love him. I think that area got him a few, you know, people, you know, he lost some fans there. And, um, uh, and I think he's accepted that. And I don't think it's going to, he's going to lose any sleep over it, but he's not able to say to his audience, he's not going to be able to say, Hey, I'm just joking. Cause those people go, well, you ain't funny. Yeah. This is not funny. You know, it's it's very it hurts. It's hurtful, in fact. So I'm not putting him down for that um, at all. I, I'm just saying I, I wouldn't have the I wouldn't go there with that with with my material at all. But um, he did. And he stands by what he said. But Dave Chappelle is just an example. Could be any comic has to understand you're not going to win friends all the time with the stuff you do. So I think George Carlin's kind of up there with that, too. Um 
you know, he, you know, he, so yeah, you know, he definitely, in, in my opinion, definitely one of the greatest uh, comedians since, you know, in my life. And, um, he, he was more of a philosopher to me, honestly, with, with how he thought, right. He gives a, a very unique and a very unique way of thinking. And, you know, his early bits compared to his later bits, like two different comedians or really it's just uh, to me, what it seems like is he got to a point in his career where he could, he could do the things he wanted to do. Um, and I kind of feel the same way with Dave Chappelle and my understanding, the way I kind of see that is, especially with Dave Chappelle, like after the whole controversy thing, when he had the Chappelle show and he, whatever happened, right. I don't know the whole story, but like, and then he comes back and, you know, I think he's under this, this understanding that like, I'm going to do comedy the way I want to do comedy. I'm going to continue to be Dave Chappelle. And if tomorrow it all ends, then so be it. That's that. I'm going to live my life. Yeah, and that's Dave Chappelle. I, I don't, I don't profess to know him or what he's been through in his life, where he draws the line, where he said, "I'm good, I'm comfortable, you know, I'm caked out, whatever. I don't need this shit anymore." So I'm going to go ahead and just plow plow on forward and piss off a lot of people, I guess, and make a lot of people friends. A lot of comics can't afford that, you know, uh, myself included. I, I can't afford to to blow my career up. Uh, standing up, I would rather make friends of as many people as I possibly can. If somebody says to me that trans shit you're doing, Phil, is really hurtful and offensive, all right, I'll drop it out of the goddamn act. I'm not married to it, you know. But um, by the way, that's another cat that does a fantastic white guy voice. Because Dave Chappelle, being the non-politically correct guy that he is, he said, I don't understand why people can't just do ethnic voices. I do an ethnic voice. Here's my white guy voice. And he breaks into this hysterically fucking funny white guy voice, you know. Um, but he he can't he can do that. I can't, you know. It's just it's just how the it's just the, the platform we're all working from right now. And I'm sure it's going to all even out. And it ain't, I'm not sweating it. I'm not losing any money over it. I'm not, you know, I'm, it's not breaking my heart. So I'm good. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and, and, and so, yeah, Dave Chappelle, when he does this, his, uh, who was that basketball player that he would do, Tyree? Um, do, you, do you remember? Basketball player, which one? Uh, oh, my God. From the show? Uh, it was on the show. I can't remember off the top of my head, but, like, I, I don't know, but he he would do this white guy character, and it was just hilarious to me because it really does play on all the stereotypes uh, that that come along with being like this, like or or, or trading spouses. <laughs> that 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 skit was hilarious. Key and Peele do a great job at it too, at uh, the whole of uh, the white chick thing that they do um, with, with Megan, and Megan. like they just play it up to the max, and it's just and it's funny. It's very clearly funny because they're they're playing off these like these known stereotypes and. You can't be mad at it. Like, who is mad at this? Well, the, uh, we have a history in this country of blackface, but we do not have a history in this country of whiteface comedy. And I think as a white audience, it's almost kind of fascinated to see it in a way. Um, and I, I, that's as far as I'll go with that. I, I personally don't think that it's racist or anything. I just, I, I just, I have an understanding of my country and my society. And goddamn, that rain is really coming down now. My cat's like going. My cat's like this. What the fuck? <laughs> um, did you hear it? No, not really. Can't hear it good. It hasn't gotten, um, hasn't come down this way yet. I'm looking out the window. But we're still good. I'm here in LA. Yeah, no, so. but, uh, I'm at the beach. I'm like a block away from the beach, <clears throat> and um, which is actually good because there's no flooding down here. It's just you know, it's just no. it's an ocean already. So we're already flooded with an ocean. But um, no, I, I, I think. Um, I just know the history of this country, and I know that um, where we are right now, 
there's a kind of a, I don't know, a, a balancing and evening, a, a an understanding that's trying to be reached. A, a, you know, we're all trying to kind of see each other through the haze of, of history and try to be citizens now, man, be compatriots and move this thing called America forward, not backward. And I think that that's the battle that's happening in our country right now. Are the people, some people want to pull us back and there's people who want to move us forward. So I, I'm all for moving forward. Um, whatever is going to get people talking to each other and whatever's going to get people uh, feeling good about each other, I'm all in favor of that. You know, and, I, and uh, anything that is against that, I don't dig. So I, don't know. I, got, I think I'm starting to sound like... Uh, Bobby Dooley. <laughs> I just I just love it, you know. It's really it's raining hard, Phil. Well, Bobby, why don't you go out and roll up the goddamn windows in your car? How dare you talk to me like that in front of these men? Anyway. Uh <laughs> I think that's a good way to do it though, right? So like when we talk about like uh I mean again, like is this something that we typically shy away from on the show? Uh but this is a good way to talk about it, I think. When we talk about like things that are divisive, um, generally speaking, right? But to talk about them like under the like the guise of comedy, right? To to uh, cause I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like to me, stereotypes are kind of funny, right? And I don't know if that's fucked up for me to say, but they are, right? Of all kinds. And so when you when you when you play on these stereotypes, especially like on a political level, and, and I don't know it's like not something you do with your show, but like when I do see it, like on like the SNL, for example, I mean, they 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 do a pretty decent job here lately of being uh, of 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 of. Uh, kind of playing on both sides and playing on the side of stereotypes. And you, you can watch and be like, that is kind of funny that, that you know, you, you might be a diehard this side, uh, um, uh, this side of the aisle person supporter, but then you see the sketch and you're like, yeah, that, that is undeniably true and funny. And then it makes you think like, okay, well, <laughs> am, am I kind of fucked up? Cause well, well, I mean, I've seen, I've seen all the blackface I need to see. And I, and look, <clears throat> if I do a Steve Bozell voice and I'm doing this, Am I doing whiteface or am I just doing a regional dialect? Well, to me, that's just a regional dialect, you know, mm-hmm. um, because every character I do is pretty much white. Um, and and so Steve's a stereotype of a southerner, maybe. Jay Sanis is sort of a stereotype of a uh, kind of a, uh, uh, you know, you know, just this kind of wannabe cop kind of thing from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Those are the stereotypes that I like to do, and I think they're funny. I think that when we when we stray into racial areas, um, this is how a quote black guy sounds. This is how a uh, Hispanic guy sounds. Like if somebody says to me, "Phil, do a do a white guy, a stereotype of a white guy." The best thing I can come up with is probably what Richard Pryor already did, which is why these look like nice seats, honey. Let's sit here. It's not particularly funny coming out of me. Okay, it's hysterically funny coming out of Richard Pryor. Um, so I, I stick with the stereotypes you were talking about. I stick with the regional, um, uh, uh, types of stereotypes as in per, the people that, that represent those things as opposed to getting into broader racial areas, I guess that's, you know, I probably maybe doesn't make, make a lot of sense, but it's not good for me to go there. Some comics may, can, may be able to do it, you know, but. <clears throat> I think I got it. But, you know, I got Bobby Dooley. She talks like this. She sounds like every Nazi suburban housewife I've ever heard. That's my mother. I'm giving you, that's my mom. That's my mother's voice. <laughs> Philip, are you wearing that? Yeah, mom, I just got nominated for the Nobel Prize for Peace. I'm wearing this blazer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
<laughs> you know, because she didn't give a shit. She's just looking at how, how my suit looks. Um, you know, uh, this guy, uh, Chef Tadilli, is just a fat guy. It sounds to me like this fat chef that I was, I used to wash dishes at a place called Eleven Oaks out in Monrovia, and the chef there was this guy by the name of Dick, Olin Dick. His first name was Olin, last name was Dick. Olin Dick, and he talked like this. Hey, Phil, you know, and I wanted to say to him, are you, do you, are you eating cream cheese or something, man? Why does your voice sound like that, you know? I'm constantly fucking eating, that's why. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he did, he sounded like he had a wad of cream cheese in his face. Um <laughs> And Bob Green is literally, this is the voice of a general manager that I worked for in Miami named Bob Green. He was a general manager of station. And I did him on the air, and Bob said, don't ever stop doing me as a character, man. I think it's hysterical. So I turned him into a grocery store owner, you know. And this is the way Bob sounded, you know. So doing individuals, individual characters is where where I I would rather be than saying, um, hey, Phil, do a a Mexican or do a a black guy or do do a white guy. Or do it like do a typical Southerner. I lived in the South for many years. There is no typical Southerner. There's a lot of different accents. There's Southern liberals. Um, there's people that talk like this. You know, you talk to them on the phone. I tell you what you do, Phil. You go on down there, and they'll take care of you. And that guy's black. You know, or he may be Hispanic. I've talked to cats from the South who were born and raised, well, born in Mexico, came to, the, and they're like, Yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, I don't, I don't. I don't like any of this. Just take your truck. Take your, you people. Get off my property right now, okay? And what is your name, Mister Mister Vargas? No, but um, you know. So so uh, it's goofy, man. It's a goofy world we're living in. Look no, and that that is that is a hundred percent true. So I'm from Arkansas, right? So I've been in my life, or been in the South my entire life, and there are. You you know you'll you you meet someone like I've got I've got you know Hispanic friends Asian friends and black friends whatever and you meet someone and you you, you automatically in your head and I think a lot of us do it like okay this is how that person is probably going to sound and then they speak and you're like well yeah that doesn't match the body at all yeah, because we have this expectation you know my friend Jerry Yoshi was a kid his parents are from Japan he was raised in America. And he was an Asian guy, Asian American. He was just like, yeah. So um, I don't know if you want to go see uh, the Beatles or anything, man. I got their album, you know. I got some good bud too, whatever, you know. Seems like just any surf kid from Southern California. So that's the beauty of America, you know. And um, that's what I love about this place, man. That's what I love about America. You know, it, it's 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 continually kind of you know rolling forward, and and um, and everybody getting together and and sampling each other's culture and realizing that we're not you know we're not going to kill each other I mean, we're, we're not deadly you know this is this is this is how society rolls you know so yeah um, anyway so hey yeah, yeah. here man on, on this show uh i don't want to hold you up too much longer because uh you know i can if i was allowed to i keep on keep you on here forever well i just got three messages from my girlfriend now, I, my girl is in Germany right now. She's visiting her aunt. She's visiting her aunt. Her name is Jackie. Hey, Jackie. Hi, honey. I've been feeling much better today. This is the sound of Brigitte's backyard as darkness falls. Sounds like she lives in a jungle, doesn't it? Hi, honey. Miss talking to you. I'm pretty much over my cold, but Ryan suddenly got a migraine headache during breakfast. She went to Germany last week after I had my eye surgery, got on a goddamn plane, 
And they took like one, two, three planes to get from Miami to Hamburg and then in the car with Brigitte down to her place in Bad Bermstadt, Germany. Okay, and now she's hanging. And as soon as she got there, she got sick and she's in bed. And I go, oh, gee, really? Uh, let's see. You didn't wear a mask. You're traveling three legs between two continents, all kinds of fucking people and contagion in the airport and the airplane. I mean, you're surprised you got sick? Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I was kind of like the, I was like the, the Papa Bear boyfriend with her, which she probably didn't dig, but... Um, um, we got to tell us what she gets for uh, you had your eye surgery and then she just leaves the country. For sure, brother. I, and exactly, I said, you know, she goes, oh, hi, listen, how's your eye? Well, I'm fine. You know, I should have said I'm blind. I'm blind. <laughs> no. She's just like, oh, listen, we'll have fun with that. Yeah. Split. Her father, speaking of the military, the three most important people in my life, arguably Jackie, my best friend, Don Olander, and his wife, Pam. All three of their fathers were airship gunners in World War II. Don's dad in the Marines. Jackie's father, my girlfriend, and Pam's dad in the Army Air Corps before it was the Air Force. And Jackie's dad was a little five foot eight dude in a belly turret of a B 17. Now, well, I talk about the military. One of our poet laureates of the United States of America, I don't know his name, forgive me. He was our poet laureate. He was a gunner, a turret gunner in World War II, and he wrote a poem about being a turret gunner. And the only two lines I remember was being born at 5,000 feet, which I thought was like this spectacular thing that he's, I, I was born at 5,000 feet. But then the end of the poem is grotesque, where he talks about being hosed out of the turret when they land, you know. But Jackie's old man married a German war bride, Jackie's mother, and uh, came back to the United States. And now she's got all these relatives in Germany she never had. She never knew she had. So, it's a good place to have them, I guess. We love Germany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we're, said, uh, we're fans. Yeah. Um, like I was saying, I don't want to. I don't want to have this going forever because I know I can totally keep going on forever. Because, like I said, I fucking love you. But uh, we got to continue on with what's next for the Phil Hendry universe. Thanks. Good question, man. Well, I'm. I would really like to continue my camera acting. I did. Uh, I've had some some fun. I just did a show called American Auto. Uh, I did a show called Call Me Cat with uh, Maya Bialik. Um, she's a gal who is the host of Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. We know who Mal is. Yeah, we know who that is. What a, what a, what a great woman. I mean, I, I get to set, I get on that show, and she goes, I just want you to know you are one of my favorite satirists ever. I'm going to be watching you this week. I'm like, oh, great, you know. Um, then I did a movie where I was allowed to, I love to do improv, and the, in this movie, uh, Destroy All Neighbors, I was allowed to imp- improv my scene. I was an LAPD, no, I was a, uh, I was a police sergeant of a SWAT team trying to talk some guy out of a hostage situation, but I was allowed to ad-lib. So, you know, I got the bullhorn, you're like, you're a Pink Floyd fan? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. Great. You know, what about animals? You like that? Or, uh, no. Okay. Well, I've got a Pink Floyd tape. I, we were riffing on progressive rock and shit, you know. Mm-hmm. But they let me do this. Um, so that's what I'd like to keep doing and um, and continue with the podcasting and, and continue with whatever voiceover projects I got. My whole thing is, guys, I just want to be a working actor until the day I die and have a ball doing it. And live somewhere close to the ocean, if not right on it, and um, talk to good guys like you, and 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 you know, I continue to hope for the best for our country. 
I, uh, <clears throat> I'm a practicing Nishran Buddhist, so uh, we do two prayers every day. And the whole point of them is for peace, you know. And um, um, in order to achieve peace, in order to to achieve this, we got to be happy. So the purpose of religion is to be happy. So in my mind, if I'm the best possible guy I can be, then I can start helping this damn world of ours, you know, uh, move forward. Um, so that's what I work on. And when I get to heaven... I'll give both you guys a good reference, and uh, I'm kidding. I don't know what heaven is. I don't know if there is a heaven, or in, I don't really care. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, maybe it's just, we just keep on walking, man. Is the way I got it figured. You know, we just keep right on walking. You know, exactly. Yep. Just don't be oh, a the next thing. Don't yeah, be a you, dickhead you're dead, here. You're dead, but you just right. keep right on going, man. There's another door for you to go through right there. Okay. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you get there. Like, so what's next? I just right through that door. Just, uh, just through that door. You'll find out. Just keep right there. Keep on walking. Exactly. Yeah. So I cannot thank you enough, Phil, well, for coming. I on. hope I, I hope I, you can make something out of this dribble. Oh no! I said thank you both, you, you good guys, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you, uh, Kevin. You got anything before I close out? Uh, no, man, uh, Mr. Henry, uh, uh, man, re- really great talking with you. De- Tyree told me the other day that this is probably going to be one of our funniest shows, and hands down, it'll, it'll definitely be our funniest show. Oh, out of sight. Oh, uh, great. Yeah, you're hilarious. Um, well, where do we find you guys, man? Because I'll give you a plug on, on my little uh, podcast. Uh, we are everywhere. We're on iTunes, uh, Apple okay, Music. So iTunes. And it's called Before I Forget. Before I Forget. Yep. You actually... YouTube, Amazon, Audible, those are coming up. Yeah. Audible, awesome. Um, I'll go... I'll read... I'll, uh, I'll um, share your posts uh tyree and retweet you know on facebook and all that stuff i dig it so hey thank you everyone for listening to before i forget please like listen share subscribe and watch thank you mr henry for coming on to the greatest veteran podcast in the history of podcasts thank you kevin for being the greatest co-host in the history of all podcasts and thank you fans for being fans of this little thing of ours thank you so much and have a good one say bye Bye, Kevin. Bye, Kevin.